This is the AT Banter Podcast, a balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot, Ryan Fleury, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything regarding assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. Uh, hey, my name is Rob Minot. Uh Joining me today, as usual, Mr. Ryan Flurry. I'm as usual. C- cowbell player extraordinaire. And uh, grumpy bastard. <laughs> yeah, you are grumpy today. <laughs> uh, we'll get into that, though. Uh, and also, look who else is here, Mr. Steve Ooh. Barkley. Hey, I am. I am. Who else is here? Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a beautiful day, and Ryan's grumpy. I don't know why. We don't know why. Did you sleep okay? I thought I slept all right. You know, I just you know, like I mentioned to you earlier when you first came in, it's like you guys are hurting like hurding cats. <laughs> Give me a time, just, damn it! It's just not true. It's just not true. We're very. It's flexible. not like you don't have my calendar up in front of you. I We're do, and then you're, then you're gone from like eleven thirty to three thirty. It's like, well, that's not what your calendar says. <laughs> well, I got to leave for Sherry's for noon, right? I got to be there for noon, so I got to leave at eleven thirty. I don't teleport. <laughs> Why not? It's the 22nd century. I know, right? Where's my flying car? You know That's what? Right. I, we think we need to, I mean, we should have like a, not like a banter bits episodes, like special episodes, but just when gr- Ryan's grumpy, we should just record like a him. him bitch episode. Him. Oh my God. That's beautiful. That's brilliant. I love it. AT banter bitch. <laughs> Stay tuned. That's <laughs> awesome. Okay, Ryan, you just have to give us give us some notice whenever you're in a grumpy mood. <laughs> it shouldn't be hard because we generally know right away. That's right. I love it. We can we can call it our BMW episode. I love it. Bitch, moan, and whine. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah, you've been. Uh, it's it's been a busy uh, 2021 so far. There, Steve. Yeah, it's been pretty active. Um, you know, people are people are coming out of the woodwork and deciding to get stuff done, and uh, orders have been steady. So it's been uh, it's been keeping me busy, which is great because I'm you know I was telling Ryan yesterday I was getting a repetitive uh, injury in my thumbs from twiddling them too much. So it's not from playing Xbox or PlayStation. I don't even have one. My, that's Mike. Mike's the uh, game console guy. Nah. I'm hopeless on game consoles. Are you? Oh, just useless. Um, hey, we got an email. Did we? Yeah, we got actually a really lovely email from a fella named Roger, who uh, actually runs an assistive technology company down in the U.S. Oh, no kidding. Which one? Uh, let me see. Let's give him a shout out. Let's give him a free plug. A company called Adaptive Information Systems. Do you know? Adaptive Information Systems. Systems. Sorry, I'm just... I'm Googling them. No, I don't know them. <laughs> Down in Wisconsin, the cheese state. Wisconsin. Nice. Cool. Nice website there, Roger. So, uh, yeah, if you want more information about adaptive information systems, you can get it at adaptiveinformation.org. To everybody out there, that's that's how you get a plug. You just email us. And we'll plug anything. Whatever. That's and right. We're some cheese. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, hey, Ryan. Yes, Rob. I want to jump in right away. Uh, what are we doing today? Today, we are speaking with the president of the Canadian Council of the Blind, Louise Gillis. Ah, yes, I believe that's because uh, White Cane Week is rapidly approaching, isn't it? It is in February coming up here soon, so we thought we'd get her on to talk a little bit about the organization and a little bit about White Cane Week. Man, look at us. We are starting 2021 organized and like we we got our stuff together. This is amazing. Steve's busy. <laughs> Ryan's grumpy. It's just it's like, 20, it's like 2020 <laughs> all over again. Oh no, this will be a better year. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. I have, I'm very optimistic now. The events of this week and like, you know, the, the inauguration and just, yeah, it, it just, it's sunny. I don't know. I just, I feel very optimistic. I'm the opposite did, of Ryan today. Did, did you watch the uh, inauguration stuff? I yeah. watched some of it. Yeah. Yeah. I watched the concert last night. I didn't watch the actual inauguration itself, but the concert last night was excellent. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't an inauguration. It wasn't. I mean, it was different, of course, in the sense that there was really no crowd. But um, yeah, I thought it was. It was lovely. It was. It was good. It was good to see that administration getting right to work and trying to sort of do damage control <laughs> right away. And uh, it's it's been nice. It's you know the the news cycle isn't filled with insanity anymore. It feels like things are already sort of getting back to normal and. I feel like I can spend time like reading and just I'm going to look into meditation. <laughs> wow, and all that grail this year. Yeah, Dude, I'm saving. I'm telling you, I'm saving all this time not being addicted to like the Trump news insanity cycle. So <laughs> it's great. It's great. Fair enough. Have you have you seen all the fallout with the QAnon people? No. What's going no. on there? Oh, well, like the QAnon people were expecting for uh, yesterday or, or earlier for uh, Biden to be arrested by a military cabal and, and thrown in jail along with all the what? other, uh, what, what do they call them, uh, pedophile, uh, uh, human traffickers. Um, wow. Yeah, I mean, the whole cons the QAnon conspiracy is that, you know, these are uh, uh, the, the, the government's being run by cannibals and child uh, oh, that's right. Smugglers and stuff, and and uh, you know uh, the the story was that yeah yeah the it, it was leading up to Biden getting arrested. He wasn't going to be inaugurated. He was going to get arrested instead, and then Trump was going to stride out on stage and it's like, hey, I'm president again. Oh, now 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 they're sitting there scratching their heads, going, but but I told my whole family this was going to happen. Now they uh, think I'm nuts. It's like, well, they probably thought you were nuts before, but yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. What what next? They're gonna they're gonna get proof in front of them that the Earth is actually round as well. Oh, get out! Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um. Well, you know, I'd feel bad for them, but I don't. I'm uh, I'm in a good mood. I got my smoothie. Feel I feel great already. 2021 is gonna be the year, guys. This is absolutely. A, the podcast is gonna go viral. We're gonna get some mad, mad numbers. We're gonna get, the, gonna get those Joe Rogan podcast numbers this year. Yeah, sure we are. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hey, you know what? Before we uh, dive into that interview, though, there's a few things that I noticed were happening this week that I wanted to bring up. Uh, you know, it's it's funny. Um, last week we had a bit of a news show, and we were kind of lamenting the fact that there really wasn't a heck of a lot of news going on. Um, 
But uh, a few things have happened this week that I thought we could talk a little bit about before we talk to Louise. We talk, you know, we mentioned CES last week. Um, and I did notice that in um, over at CNET, they did an article about some of the different assistive technology that was on display at C um, CES this year. Yep. Yeah, it's always I find it always interesting and always notable whenever a mainstream publication sort of talks about assistive technology. And it's always interesting to also see what devices they actually decide to feature. So I thought I would I would run these down with you guys and see what your thoughts are because I don't I, some of them I know and some of them I, I kind of don't. So first it mentions the Mantis Q40 Braille display and I don't know anything about that. But have you guys heard of this one? Yeah, yeah I've actually got one out on loan right now uh, to uh, to a customer. Um, it's a it's got it's got a QWERTY keyboard on it. It's got a full forty cell Braille display on it. Um, so for somebody who's a, a typist, you can have your keyboard and Braille all on one uh, surface. But in, in general, though, it's it's pretty much just a Braille display. There's nothing really anything that makes it unique against all the other Braille displays on the market. And most most Braille displays these days are coming with a with a Braille keyboard on them. But this one's QWERTY. So I see. But was was there not another Braille display that that did do that for a while? Uh, what was it called? Well, there was always like the Braille Note Apex or the uh, the the Hymns. Um, uh, what was it? The U uh, two QWERTY. Um, but uh, those were actual note takers, not just Braille displays. Oh, I see. That's right. That's that's what I'm thinking of. I was thinking. I wasn't thinking Braille displays. Sorry. I was thinking note takers. Um, yeah. Very cool. I, I noticed that they also talked about. Uh, this Aware app, which is a um, is an app from a, a place called Sensible Innovations, that is an indoor navigation app using um, iBeacon technology. And I looked up the I looked up the, their website, and I'm pretty sure that I think we've either talked about this app or we've had them on. Um, but this app goes all the way back to 2017. Indoor navigation is still that nut that we really haven't cracked yet. We haven't really seen any sort of app or a technology even that has really set the standard in terms of indoor navigation. I don't know if that's true because uh, there, I mean, there's right, right now uh, we're seeing a shift away from beacon technology into technologies that are using LIDAR scanning to map out the insides of buildings and, and uh, provide navigation that way. And I think, I think that's going to, take off it's just going to take some time to get adopted um so i disagree okay I well think we, no. I think we do have a technology well that's good it just you know i guess the tricky part about indoor navigation and in terms of you know really like setting that standard is just that all these different pieces have to come on board like we, we you need venues to embrace that technology and use that technology in order for it to really spread it's such a new type of technology that you know, we've spent the last few years figuring out, well, is it going to go the direction of eye beacons or is it going to, you know, go the direction of LIDAR? I know for a fact in talking to some of the different manufacturers and, and companies out there that are that are working on this stuff, that the LIDAR option is both more of a, a thorough solution, 
but also sort of an easier solution, right? Because they just they take their laptops into the venue and they walk around and the lasers just kind of do their work and they're able to create these really detailed maps in pretty short order. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't require that you're you're sticking beacons up anywhere. It doesn't require batteries and beacons being replaced. It you know, you're never going to lose a beacon with that that technology. It, it's got it's definitely got some technical advantages over and above uh, beacon technologies. Um, and and beacon technology is fraught with with other problems too, you know we we know from from our experience with it that uh, you know things like uh, putting a beacon at a doorway uh, can be great for helping somebody find a doorway, but um, you know you you might not actually be able to get that beacon to transmit through the glass of that door, so you might have to use two beacons on a door. Um, you know it it's also um, uh, the the range on beacons is variable, uh, you know, depending on the environment as well, and you have to kind of tweak the range to to get the area of effect for a beacon uh, set to what you want. So, it's it's a it's a problematic um, uh, technology. I, I mean, it was uh, it was a good idea. It was a good start, but I think lidar is going to take it over yeah. um, in very short order. I think the other missing component of that is just that we they, there needs to be a company that just comes in and they are the LiDAR specialists. Their LiDAR services to go in and map different venues just becomes sort of the, the big one to use. You know, and I'm thinking along the lines of, you know, it almost needs something like Google Maps, right? They just Google became, that's how we, we have Street View, right? They They just went everywhere and mapped everywhere and we sort of need that to happen except on an, on an indoor level yeah and and you've got to get the buy-in from the uh from the owners of the buildings right yeah um you know there's there's companies out there like accessibuild who we've we've had on the program um and uh what, what's mike may's new company uh ryan good maps, good maps. Um, they're both doing uh they're, they're both using the the lidar technology um and uh, I know from talking with the Accessibuild folks that, uh, you know, they're they're really selling it to the, the owners of the buildings as a service that they can use in other situations as well. So, you know, for, for maintenance issues, for, for uh, you know, general mapping of your building, because, uh, you know, buildings change over time. You know, you may have architectural drawings, for example, that show what the building looked like originally, but walls have been changed and, you know, things have happened here and there that, that change the layout of the building so you can't necessarily rely on original blueprints for that kind of stuff so they're delivering to a building owner a 3d um uh look at their at their building that they can use in other applications as well as in navigation right. so they're they're adding value in that sense so i i think it'll i think it'll you know take off we're also seeing lidar being built into mainstream devices now right the the iphones right. the latest iphones have lidar built in them now they're not lidar like they would use in a lidar scanner going in to map a building but um, over time all of this overlapping lidar data that they're going to get from phones will be assemblable and right. uh, you know you'll be able to take a picture of where people have been with their with their phones and and, and build out on that so it's going to be interesting. Yeah, for sure. Well, listen, good. I mean, hopefully they do figure this out um, soon um, because uh, indoor navigation is going to be a really, really powerful mobility solution for people. 
Hi everyone, this is Steve from Canadian Assistive Technologies and this is a shameless plug. A few years back, everyone was all excited about the pen friend from RNIB, which allowed folks to use small stickers with a chip in them to label products and record descriptions. We are pleased to be Canada's distributor of way around products, which do the same thing, but utilize a cell phone as the reader. There are a variety of available tags from simple stickers to clothing buttons, magnets, clips. There's something to label almost everything. The descriptions you enter can be any length and they are automatically backed up to your account on the web. So no matter what happens, you'll never lose your description. Check them out on our website at www.canastech.com. Joining us now is Louise Gillis, President of the Canadian Council of the Blind. So Louise, I wanted to have you on the podcast to talk a little bit about the Canadian Council of the Blind and also uh, about White Cane Week. So hopefully you came full of knowledge. Well, I think I have uh, enough to get us going on this, at least anyway. <laughs> Excellent. So why don't we start off with, you know, who is the Canadian Council of the Blind? Well, the Canadian Council of the Blind is uh, was founded like about 76 years ago or so in 1944 by reti retiring blind veterans and schools of the blind. It's a membership-based organization and it's registered a registered charity. Uh, it's for people who are blind, deaf, blind, or living with vision loss of one sort or another. And uh, people meet through chapters in their own local communities or through national events on uh, through the more modern technology of Zoom and, and uh, other internet facets. So we, we're here to, to work with people who have uh, sight loss of one sort or another in advocacy and awareness campaigns and peer mentoring, sports and recreation that are all adapted for persons with sight loss and the promotion of health and fitness. Also in the promotion of uh, ensuring that people who are, don't have sight loss at this point do get the medications to prevent vision loss and uh, that's with variety of uh, different governments, federal, provincial, and locally to to get those medications to the people who need them for disease processes such as uh, macular degeneration and diabetic macular edema plus others along with that. So we have a variety of programs and I can elaborate more on that a bit later but uh, we're about we're here to to help people with sight loss learn to live a different life than than if they lost sight later in life than what they had prior to that. And for those who were born with sight loss, to be able to take part in society and their communities plus move on in education and take a, a large role in, in their own lives to meet the wishes and desires that they have had. So we work with people to realize that if they have a mind to do something, they just need to get out and start working on it and do it. It's interesting because, you know, like I lost my sight in 1995, and, you know, the first place people tell you about is the CNIB, Canadian National Institute for the Blind. So, you know, it's, it's interesting hearing that the CCB has been around for over 70 years as well. 
Um, why do you think it is that, you know, organizations like yours just may not be as, as known in the mainstream? Well, I think use, the use of the word blind is, is there. And uh, naturally, the CNIB is where people who lose their, their sight or, you know, when they're first born or later in life, they're referred by their doctors to go to the CNIB for their uh, vision rehab services and all the things that go with that. And therefore, it's called the blind. So any organization with the word blind in it, it's all under one umbrella that way because people don't realize there's, there's other things. And CCB is uh, peers helping peers to live that new experience or the lived experience uh, explaining how to do new things. Right. So you guys wouldn't you guys wouldn't necessarily do like orientation and mobility. You're more basically like you mentioned, you know, peer mentoring, getting together, learning from each other, and just more of a community based organization. It, it is basically because there we have chapters all across Canada in many different communities, and we have independent members who don't have uh, chapters nearby, so they can still take advantage of the, the programs and things that we do have uh, across the, the country. And that helps people, I'm fairly confident, one learns better from somebody who has the lived experience than somebody who is sighted telling you how to do it. Communities should be working in relation with each other, not necessarily copying the same programs, but uh, just enhancing the programs that are already there and working with people so that they can live a better life. Right. Now, one of the probably more popular programs that the CCB runs is called the GTT, or Getting Together with Technology Program. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, that's a, a great program that's been running over five years now, and uh, it was started just to help people who have new technology, and that's when all the smartphones and things started coming into being. and especially for people who are blind for a long time, did not have the experience of, uh, you know, using it or seeing what a cell phone looked like. And with the Apple products coming out and voiceover, everything was built in. Prior to that, people had to uh, purchase different modules to attach to their, their phones or their computers or whatever to be able to, to work with that. So this is peers, again, helping peers. And it's a program where, yes, you learn about technology, you have your technology questions, but also during that uh, friendly conversation, people are able to get together across the country so that if I want to know how I should be making my way to it uh, in a store and what I need to do, that somebody can help me with that. Or if I have a, a recipe that I'm trying to cook and don't exactly know maybe what different utensils are and how they're they're done. People can say, well, I use this particular item and it helps me a great deal without having to worry about half cup, full cup, whatever the measurement is. And just different techniques of using your cane that uh, or handling your cane. Um, we never do mobility training as such. That's not part of it. But just questions that people may have about where can I get something fixed? So it goes beyond technology. It goes into much more depth. And a very great fellowship because 
people develop uh, good friends over that, that GTT program. It's great work. You know, I've attended a few of the sessions myself, and you always come out of there learning something. You do, really, and it's uh, it's good for beginners because they have a particular uh, group set up for beginners who are just really learning how to, to uh, deal with blindness and technology at the same time to people who are well advanced and can uh, do many more things than the, the general population, I would say, do. So it's, it's a great way. And students who are in school uh, and young folks who are able to, to be working may need some extra uh, education on on how to use the programs that are required for employment. So. Yeah, no, there's a lot of good people there and a lot of good information that comes out of those yeah. programs. What are some of the other programs that the CCB offers? We have a, a health and fitness one where we do uh, some exercises online or give uh, tips over internet service now too. But the other big program is uh, curling where we have our vision impaired curling the championship is usually during the, the first full week of February, but of course for 2021 that's not, not happening. But it's a, a group of uh, Canadians from across the country who have become CCV members and learn to curl in their own individual rinks and uh, compete at a level there that quite often, because there's not may not be a lot of people who are blind or low vision, they curl against sighted folks, so that gives them more uh, insight into the program and uh, what it's about, so it's a kind of a universal program, we call it. Then we have, uh, there's groups that have a variety of different blind sports, we'll call them, different places like goalball out of Nova Scotia is a blind sports program from uh, that organization, but it's under the umbrella of CCB here. We have uh, Atlantic Sports and Recreation Weekend, which takes place in the long weekend in May. And that's a variety of different sports held over one weekend. We move from chapter to chapter within the four Atlantic provinces and uh, take part for three days doing uh, uh, bowling, with talent shows, uh, track and field meets, uh, cribbage, uh, table bowling, and darts. So a variety of those things and they take place throughout the year in, in different communities as well each chapter decides themselves which the activities they like to do I mentioned earlier losing my sight in 1995 as a young adult you know I was very active as a sighted person and after I lost my sight I never really knew about BC blind sports or you know adaptive sports for the blind and partially sighted and so a couple times you know my girlfriend at the time and I would try bowling because I, I bowled competitively as a sighted person and that sucked <laughs> gutter ball gutter ball gutter ball you know I, I tried I tried you know playing softball you know having somebody throw the ball and well, of course the ball doesn't beep so I had no idea where the ball was um, you know and it's it's really important to let people know of the opportunities that are available. You know, tandem cycling is something I probably would have loved. You know, I, I skied and snowboarded as a sighted person. And it's unfortunate I didn't get plugged into the, the opportunities 
after I lost my sight. So I can't stress enough to anybody listening to this show to reach out to CNIB, CCB, you know, look up BC Blind Sports, or I'm sure there's Canadian Blind Sports locals across Canada as well, if you're interested, because there are so many opportunities available for people. So, so what, I'm, what I'm hearing here, Ryan, is that uh, post-COVID, we're getting a, a tandem bike, are we? I'm game. <laughs> Absolutely, let's that do it. Like a, sounds like a good idea, because I was never able to ride a, a bike as a sighted person, but I never curl as a sighted person either, and it was after losing my sight in 96. Um, I still have some, which I'm thankful for. I started the very first curling team in, in Nova Scotia, so... You know, just because you think that you can't do something and it's not available, your age really doesn't matter. So I was old when I started curling, and old means anything over 50 in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm well over that now. Easy, but, easy. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's the fact that, uh, you know, all these sports that are out there, the majority of them, can be done. It can be learned as an older person too. So, right. Ryan, there's hope for you too to get out on your tandem bike and do those things. I don't know. I've been a real lazy couch potato for the well since the last probably 20 years. So I, it's going to be hard to get me off the couch. <laughs> oh well we'll, well, we'll work on that next time I see you. <laughs> That's right. So, in terms of um, the organization and how it's structured, by by doing something like having chapters. Are you sort of able to service smaller communities than, say, some of the larger organizations like, say, CNIB that are mainly in the urban areas? Well, yes, we are in, in a lot of ways because as we have chapters, we still have, as I mentioned earlier, two independent members. So if there's not a chapter in a, a community close by or in a rural area, that person can join CCB and take part in all the, the activities that we have if they can get transportation into a place where we're doing a sports activity as such, then they can come and take part there. If not, they can still do a lot of the other things that are, are done online and every individual that wants to be served, basically, if they have an interest, we can find some way of, of working with them to improve their quality of life rather than sitting home on the couch. What's wrong with sitting on the couch? <laughs> oh, I prefer to share myself. Anyway. <laughs> so it sounds like, you know, in by having that sort of policy and sort of trying to service as many people as you can, um, it sounds like you guys were already kind of set up in a lot of ways with remote services or, you know, services by phone or by Zoom or by some other networking software so it, given that has has covid really had much of a of an impact on you guys well it, in some ways yes some ways no uh, what it has done is enlarged those programs that we do run by like gtt is run by zoom and a lot more people are using it now because they don't are not able to get out and, and go do other things so they stay home and, and uh, listen to the the chats and the things that are going on there and find out about other things because right now majority of us are not able to be curling and, and doing those uh, sports where there are a lot of people out there in the, the rinks or in like a hockey rink and that sort of thing for the blind hockey. 
So these uh, EGT and Zoom calls have made a difference for people like that and made connections with people across Canada. Whereas before uh, with chapters, people quite often were just isolated in that one chapter and didn't know somebody, you know, like if you lived in Nova Scotia, didn't know anybody from British Columbia. But now through Zoom and COVID that has helped people from Nova Scotia know people in, in other provinces across the country. And it has made a, a bigger family of everyone. With uh, COVID, it has, uh, our office has not been able to be fully staffed within the, the office every day. So people have to work from home, but uh, it is, is fully staffed that way as well. So if we need to contact somebody to, to get assistance with something in technology, then we can get them you know, by, by calling the office and it still works the regular hours that we have. As far as other issues with COVID, we have did a survey way back in April that has taken a, a lot of interest by many organizations and communities across not only Canada, but internationally too, on the results of that and the effect of COVID on persons living with blindness. And the fears and the anxieties that are there for, for all of us. And each one of us has something different in the fact of the fear of going into a grocery store to do shopping. Are we going to be able to know when we're six feet away from somebody, excuse me, or two meters? That's a, a very tricky uh, issue to have. The fear of, of uh, transportation, getting on the bus and knowing where a seat is. So we've been working with through GTT many times, talking about things like that to to uh, comfort people a bit more about uh, being able to be out and about a little bit better and the proper wearing of masks because somebody who is totally blind has no idea how a mask is to be worn because they can't see exactly. So, you know, you go into a description of, of uh, telling somebody what a, a mask is like and how it, it should be worn and and why it should be worn. COVID has also affected people who have, uh, you know, they are of sight loss, but they also have other disabilities and therefore often have home care or some sort of service coming in. They may not be aware whether the person coming in to assist them has uh, any protective equipment on them, such as masks and gowns and gloves and that sort of thing. And especially, um, workers who would go from home to home, like whose place were they in last? Are they actually cleaning their hands properly and this sort of thing when you can't see? You don't always know that. So it's just trying to educate the public as well. And we've sent out letters to Retail Canada, uh, the Retail Council of Canada about uh, the uh, plexiglass uh, in, at stores and how that can be a disadvantage and to let the employees know that if we are blind or low vision, we may need extra help, but to be more patient with us as we try to, to get our groceries or goods in, the, in another store, whatever it might be. In terms of the program, are they, are they mainly community driven? They're basically community driven because if somebody wants to start uh, bowling, for instance, they find a, a few people who are interested and get some sighted volunteers to attend with them so that they can 
they can just go and do their bowling in regular times before COVID times. Uh, we were able to, to get two or three different volunteers to come in and depending on the number of uh, people who are actually willing to, to bowl and carried on bowling very actively. And that's the same for all the different sports and, and those types of activities. That as long as we can get our sighted volunteers to be there and show us the way it does develop from the community. Somebody else may want to do a knitting group or a, a sewing group or something like that. And it's just getting people together and by the community. It's not our national office saying, okay, that we're going to start a, a, a bowling chapter in Sudbury or a, a knitting chapter in uh, Port of Basque or something like that. It's the people of those communities saying, well, I want to do something and going out amongst the, the community, which is difficult for some people who don't know other blind people in their communities. So we kind of put out uh, awareness uh, ads one way or another, like through you know, church bulletins or on uh, community-based uh, radio TV programs that we're hosting a, a, a how-to bowl or a how-to knit program for people who are blind, please uh, call this number and come in and, and then that's how we get together. Louise, can you tell us what is White Cane Week? White Cane Week is a, generally the first full week of February and this year seems to confuse people because February 1st is on a Monday, but the first full week of February starts on the 7th, so it runs from the 7th to the 13th. And generally, it's a week of one uh, chapters in different communities across the nation, and the national organization put on awareness programs, events, whatever they may be, to bring the the general community in to see our abilities, not our disabilities, how we do things, and to encourage those of us who need more encouragement to to be able to get out and see. So there's uh, a variety of things do generally take place at the community level but it's not going to be so easy this year. The national entity is doing several programs but not all necessarily during that first week but through the month of February. On February 13th which is a Saturday there's a forum that's being held and traditionally that was held in Toronto in person out of the, the Waikine chapter in, uh, in Toronto and now this will be done virtually. There's going to be a gala on February 18th, which was generally held in Ottawa, but again, that will be done virtually. So I guess people will just be the virtual part of that and, and having a dinner is people may have a peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure how the food part's going in there. Uh, then the uh, following up with the, the COVID uh, survey that we did earlier, we actively are doing a, an impact of COVID-19 during the year 2020, how it has affected people, but also we have a researcher working on 2020, how the effect of blindness has uh, added to uh, Canada's uh, employment rates and, and uh, different other aspects of living and what the impact of blindness has on living. So that is taking place on February 17th and then again 
of the summit held on May 26th with the result of this uh, impact of COVID-19 on uh, life in general. Also, we're planning uh, just a, sort of a, a, an awareness program of uh, what the white cane is, and that should be taking place. The date is not fully set, but on the uh, the uh, 10th of February, and that information will be coming out. And it's just a, kind of a fireside chat where people can talk about, there'll be a few presenters talking about White Cane Week and, and uh, what the White Cane is. So those are kind of the activities for this year, but it's basically to let the general population know that even though we have sight loss, total blind or deaf blind, we still have a life and we still are able to contribute to society in many different ways and there is life after blindness so where can people find uh, ccb on, online okay the website for ccb is uh, www.ccbnational.net and uh, the email address is ccb at ccbnational.net our phone number the toll-free number is one 877 the best of luck with White Cane Week. Thanks so much for, for coming on and talking to us about both DCB and, uh, and White Cane Week. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. Uh, we appreciate being on here and getting the, the word out to as many people as we can. Thank you so much, Louise. Appreciate it. Bye now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, sounds like there's quite a bit going on for White Cane Week this year, despite COVID. Well, I think that's definitely one thing we've seen is everybody's had to pivot and move their events online, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's good to see these organizations continuing on, that's for sure. I feel like CCB really, f like, sort of fills in a, a really important gap in terms of where the chapters are. And, you know, they fill in the holes that are left by, like, some of the larger blindness organizations. Yeah, there's a lot of mentorship that goes on and... You know, you can get plugged into a chapter near you and find out what's what's going on in your area. Um, you know, tell them what your interests are. And they've got the Getting Together with Technology program as well. So if you're a novice to technology, you know, you can reach out and join one of their chats. And there's a lot of good people there with a lot of good information. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Ryan. Yes, Rob. Where can people find us? They can find us online at atbanter.com. Uh, they can also drop us an email if they so desire. Uh, cowbell at atbanter.com. Hey, and you know what else? We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So reach out, join our social media. That's right. Email and cheer Ryan up. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Tell him to stop being a grumpy bastard. Well, it doesn't happen all that often. <laughs> I don't know. Five out of seven days, that, that seems like. <laughs> five out of seven? My goodness. Well, I don't talk to you on the weekends. It could be seven out of seven. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. It's true. I would check your mattress. Maybe there's like a pee underneath your mattress. You're like that, the fairy tale. Maybe. Well, then I guess that is about enough damage for one week. All righty. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Big thanks to Louise Gillis and CCB. 
And uh, we will see everybody next week. Bye. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com.